Please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 15. Before we begin, I'm going to ask you to bear with me. Yesterday was the first uh, basketball game of Nehemiah, and I serve as his coach. And so my voice may be a bit strained today, and I'm going to figure out how to deal with that for six weeks. So just a little fair warning. Uh, we are returning to Acts chapter 15, and we have a lengthy reading this morning. We have covered verses 1 through 21 already. We covered uh, verses 13 and 17 again last Lord's Day, uh, really the first, or two weeks ago, considering how Christ guarded the gospel through these means, and then really seeing that promise recorded in Amos for the new covenant, um, that promise there of Christ's return, rebuild, and restoring. And we're going to now pick up at verse 22 and carry on through verse 35 this morning to really take a look at Christ's care for the church. Here we see Presbyterianism at work. Here we see how the Lord Jesus has called for elders to, to be appointed in every church and how those local churches are not isolated from one another, but instead work together. And we're going to see how it is the Lord Jesus and his care for his church uh, in these means. We are going to begin all the way back in verse 1 to read, because it really is one whole story here. Um, and so we'll uh, have a lengthy reading. And just because of its length, I wanted to mention it to say, let's give our careful attention to the word of God. And so this is Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. 
Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and, what, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are, in the Gentile, who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake or for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened, strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Where is Jesus? Boys and girls, where is Jesus? Well, you all know that Jesus is in heaven. You know that Jesus rose from the grave and he ascended on high. So what is heaven like? And how does heaven compare to life here on earth? Well, here on earth, while we have a great many blessings, our lives are still <clears throat> impacted by sin, suffering, sickness, and sorrow. Heaven, however, has none of these things. Heaven is a glorious place. It is untainted by sin, and there is no suffering, no sorrow, and no sickness. Instead, it is a place that scripture describes with the words fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. 
So imagine what it would be like to be there. Can you imagine what it would be like to try to understand and to take in such a glorious and unimaginable place? There would certainly be more than enough to capture your attention and to keep it fixated there. Because it's glorious. Well, Jesus is there. And he is right now at the right hand of the Father where he is personally experiencing the glories and the joys of heaven. But do you know where his attention is? His attention is upon you. His attention is upon his people. Even though Jesus is in the glories of heaven, his attention is upon his bride. Romans 8 says that Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Well, what does it mean then that Christ keeps his careful eye upon you? What does it mean that Jesus keeps his eyes on you even though he is right now surrounded by all of the glories of heaven? Well, it means that he loves you. And it means that his love for you is so strong that not even the glories of heaven can turn his gaze from you. It means that his love for you is such that paradise can't keep his careful eye from watching over you. Now sometimes this truth is hard to believe. And it is hard to believe for many reasons. To start is hard to believe because we cannot see it with our eyes. We can't just open our eyes and see this reality as we see so many other things. It is also hard to believe because what we do see with our eyes often tempts us to doubt this wonderful reality. Well, that is why this text before us this morning is such a blessing. That is why this text is so helpful to us because we find people living in similar circumstances. Here in our text this morning, we don't see Jesus. Our, in our passage, we read about apostles and elders. We read about Jews and Gentiles, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. We read about these men who came from Judea and the believers that belonged to the party of the Pharisees. We read about Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, Judas, and Silas. We read about churches in Antioch, Cilicia, Jerusalem, and Syria. But nowhere do we read of Jesus. Nowhere do we see him doing this or doing that. And yet, this passage is bursting with Jesus. If we will look with the eyes of faith, we will see that Jesus is actually everywhere. That while he is not bodily present with his people, just as today, his care is everywhere. His care is with his people at each and every point along the way. We just need to look. And we will see it. And so that's what we're going to do together this morning. Let's look into God's word to consider Christ's care. After a brief word of introduction, Luke begins the book of Acts by teaching us about Christ's ascension. And then from that point on, we don't see Jesus in a certain sense. And yet, if we will only look, we will see Christ's care everywhere. So let's begin this morning by seeing Christ's care. Seeing Christ's care. Just before 
Luke records Christ's ascension in those words of introduction that I just mentioned. Luke tells us that in his gospel account, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, that is his careful way of telling us that everything that we read about here in the book of Acts is what he continues to do and teach. And so Luke begins, like a careful author, by telling us to keep our eyes on Jesus to keep looking for Jesus in all of the events that unfold. So where do we see Jesus here in Acts 15? Where do we see Christ's care in our text? Well, our text begins with what we would call, or what we could call, the dissension. Men came down from Judea teaching the brothers in Antioch that unless they were circumcised, they could not be saved. Well, this rightfully troubled the minds of the Gentile believers there in Antioch. This shook their faith. They were suddenly hearing that there was something that they now needed to do in order to be saved. So how do we see Christ's care? Well, we see Christ's care in two ways. First of all, we see Christ's care in that provision of Paul and Barnabas. You see, Paul was first set apart for ministry by Christ himself. That's why he's the Apostle Paul. And Barnabas was set apart through Christ by the church in Jerusalem. Then both of these men were sent out from the church in Antioch. And so both of these men were authorized by Christ to care for his church. So when these men came down from Judea teaching this false gospel, we see Christ's care when we see Paul and Barnabas contending for the truth. Because the gospel is on the line, Because Paul and Barnabas love Jesus and because Paul and Barnabas love his church, they are willing to engage these men in order to safeguard the gospel. So the first way we see Christ's care is in the provision of Paul and Barnabas and their willingness to engage. Second, we see Christ's care in the wider church. This is where Presbyterianism comes in. There are elders appointed in every church, but now we see that there's actually an organic relationship among the churches. There is one church in local churches. Even as Paul and Barnabas did their best to contend for the truth, the matter could not be solved on a local level. And so we see this biblical pattern set down in Scripture for the church. What is the biblical pattern? Well, the local church here now refers this matter to the wider church. Because the church in Antioch could not quiet this storm themselves, they sought the safety that God gives in a multitude of counselors. They were willing to take this unresolved issue and bring it to the presbytery, we might say. They were willing to bring it to the wider church so that they could use and utilize that safety that isn't found in a multitude of counselors. They utilized Christ's care in the wider church. That's the second way that we see Christ's care right there, even in the midst of this dissension. So that brings us to the second part, which is the debate. The the text tells us that when the apostles and elders then gathered at Jerusalem, when they gathered together to consider this matter that came to them from the church in Antioch, The text tells us there was much debate. So just as it had earlier in the local congregation, there was now much debate among the the, the gathering of the apostles and the elders. So how do we see Christ's care here? Well, quite tangibly, we see Christ's care in the solemn assembling of the apostles and elders. 
We see these men serving Christ by setting, a time, setting aside time that would otherwise be devoted to other things so that they can care for the affairs of Christ's church. But then second, we see Christ's care in the godly way that these men conducted themselves. Consider Peter. Here, Peter carefully recounts the way in which he watched as God cleansed the Gentile hearts by faith. Why is Peter so significant, especially as the first one to speak? Well, for two reasons. One is because Paul and Barnabas, who will speak next, were engaged at that local level. But also because Peter struggled to live in light of this reality. Many commentators believe that Peter was later rebuked by Paul after Peter had get, been given that vision of the sheets that was teaching him not to call the Gentiles unclean. And so here we see Peter speaking and defending the Gentiles. He is now defending the Gentiles. He has now seen it with his own eyes, and he is bearing testimony that God has saved them. He has cleansed their hearts by faith. After he speaks, notice what happens. It says that the whole assembly fell silent. They listened to then Paul and Barnabas. And what do Paul and Barnabas do? Well, they relate all of the various signs and wonders that were done among the Gentiles when they were preaching and hearing the gospel. You see, these men were listening to one another. Uh, they were open to reason and persuasion and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as they were considering this matter, we see also that they searched the word of God. They went to the word of God looking for Christ. And James stands up and he quotes Amos 9 and he says, Listen, brothers, this is how we are to understand what is going on in the world. This is how Jesus is presently at work here in this world. Too often today, debate devolves into division, but this is clearly the work of Christ. Here we see Jesus carefully tending to his church. He is caring for his church. He cared for them in that dissension, and he is now caring for them in the debate. We now see that in the third part. That brings us to the decision. In the letter that these men send to all of the churches, they report that they have now come to one accord. And not only that, but their decision was good to the Holy Spirit and to them. Let me pause to make a clarification. The courts of the church today, when a presbytery meets or a synod meets, we seek the leading of the Holy Spirit, but we do not have the inscripturated confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And so we do confess that the councils and synods can err. So I just want to make that quick clarification. This one did not in any way, but it can happen. It has happened that synods and councils do err. We do confess that. And so this idea here that the Holy Spirit confirmed their work, that was unique to this council. We do seek the leading of the Holy Spirit, but this was unique to this one. So they recognized that the decision that they reached was one that came from Christ. They can say it seemed good, not only to us, but also to the Holy Spirit. And so not only do we see Christ's care in that way, but also in the content of their decision. 
And we might summarize the content of their decision with two words, comfort and counsel. There's a word of comfort, and then there's a word of counsel. It's very easy to see and to love and to appreciate, to catch Christ's care in the words of comfort. Those men that came down from Judea were teaching that unless the Gentile believers were circumcised, they could not be saved. That's discomforting. That is unsettling. That idea is terribly troubling because it means that salvation is not in Christ alone. If that were true, it would mean that those Gentiles in Antioch were not saved. But that there was still something else that they had to do in order to be saved. That they had to somehow earn or complete their own salvation. Well, that is why this is such a word of comfort. The Jerusalem Council makes this unanimous decision, and they say, by the blessing of the Holy Spirit, that nothing is ever to be put between a sinner and Jesus. Nothing is ever to be put between a sinner and Jesus. That nothing should be required as a condition for coming to Christ. Do you see Christ's care? That is truly comforting. It means that the gospel is truly good news. It means that no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, that salvation is yours by believing upon Jesus Christ. That is the good news, and it is extremely comforting to see it guarded and kept by the Jerusalem council. Now, Christ's care is also contained in the words of counsel. There's comfort and there's counsel, so they give them words of counsel. Notice that while the Jerusalem Council is very careful to give that absolutely essential word of comfort, they don't neglect to care for those who are in the household of God. They're already in the household of God by faith. How so? Well, they counsel them to do two things. And again, summarizing them, we could put them in categories. The Jerusalem Council uh, counsels them to care for themselves and to care for others. How are they to care for themselves? Well, this letter instructed the Gentile believers to abstain from sexual immorality. Why would they need to say such a thing? I mean, sexual immorality has always been forbidden. Well, the Jerusalem Council is shepherding the church in Antioch. These were new believers who were still unlearning the ways of this world. So they were being counseled to put off the deeds of the flesh and to put on the deeds of the spirit. They're being counseled here to put off sin, to put off what belonged to the old man or that old nature and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this way, we see the Jerusalem council shepherding and caring for them, saying no longer walk in these sins. But they were also instructed to care for others. They were instructed to abstain from eating foods that, have offend, that, that would have offended the Jews around them. And potentially even believing Jews who were still unlearning the old covenant. So why would the Jerusalem council give them that instruction? Since they don't, they're not required by God to keep the ceremonial laws. Why would the Jerusalem council give them this instruction? Well, it's because it is Christ 
being concerned, showing care for the peace and unity of his church. And this, is a, this instruction is designed to teach these Gentile believers that it is better to set aside their own rights than it is to assert them. It is better to set aside their own rights for the sake of their brothers, potentially, and certainly in, uh, for the sake of the lost, to put no stumbling block between them so that they might be uh, good witnesses to this world. And so they are here being instructed to set aside their rights rather than to offend a brother or to impede their own witness. And so in that decision, we see the care of Christ, which then brings us to the delivery. And here we see Christ's care just bleeding through. The way in which the decision is delivered is saturated with Christ. It is saturated with Christ's care. How do we see this? Well, we see it in the fact that this comfort and counsel is first written down. It's, it's written down. That, that detail may escape our notice, but it is a tremendous gift that those words were written down and given to the church in Antioch. Why? So that they could go to them again and again and again to see the way in which the gospel of free grace was preserved. These were people who had been disturbed. They were troubled in their souls because of what those men had said who came down from Judea. And so the Jerusalem council was careful to write down this guarding of the gospel. Anytime anyone's mind was troubled again by doubts, they could go back. And they could read those wonderful words. They could soothe their own soul by seeing again and again and again that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, not only was it written down, but it was worded very carefully. This letter is instructive. Their letter was full of love and grace and wisdom and care. It really was a reflection of Jesus Christ. It represented him very well to all of these believers. It carried the aroma of Christ, as it were, so that it was precious to these believers. So that it, it in a sense, self-authenticated, and it was very well received. Well, the council didn't just send a letter. Instead, they chose two leading men to take it with them. They chose Judas and Silas and sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so to comfort these believers there, they spent much time with them. They read the letter and they taught about that letter. They did not just rush in and rush out, but they spent time strengthening and encouraging these believers who were earlier troubled and unsettled. And again, that is a beautiful reflection of Christ. In all these ways, the, the delivery of their decision was a clear embodiment of Christ's care. So what was its result? What happened when these men showed up with that letter to deliver? Well, we have seen Christ's care every, along every part of this path. His care was there in the dissension. His care was there in the debate. His care was there in the decision and his care was there in the delivery. And so it should be of no surprise that Christ's care resulted in rejoicing. 
the text tells us that the saints in Antioch were strengthened and encouraged. And where they were once troubled, Christ's care gave them peace. And so we've seen Christ's care. We see Christ's care all throughout this text. We see the Lord Jesus Christ working through that church that he has provided and the government for that church to provide for his people. Even though we don't see Christ in a certain sense in our text, he is clearly there. So what does this mean for us? That's seeing Christ. Let's go on second to consider seeking Christ. Seeking Christ's care. This passage is a wonderful meditation. It really is something to marvel at. Why? Well, because it shows us clearly what is possible because of Christ's care. This passage begins in chaos. It begins with the enemy's attacks upon the gospel. It begins with believers being troubled in mind and unsettled in soul. It begins with fear. It, end, it begins with doubt. It, ends, uh, it begins with all of these things, but then its end, its end is entirely different. The text begins with disruption and discord, but because of Christ's care for his church, it ends with harmony and peace. You see, the text is, is not saying that the church will never face these kinds of difficulties, but it is showing that there is a way that Christ has provided for the care of his church. So, brothers and sisters, the text sets before us Christ's care. And in so doing, it is teaching us to seek Christ's care. In seeking Christ's care, we should be propelled. In seeing Christ's care, we should be propelled to seek Christ's care. So how do we do so? Well, the text, I believe, teaches us to do so in five ways. The first is come to Christ. And this applies to everyone here, whether or not you know Christ now or not. This passage teaches us what happens when anything is allowed to come between you and Christ. Even though these Gentile believers, listen to this, even though they were united to Christ by faith, they had allowed, not, they, didn't, they didn't do it to themselves, but these brothers came down, or these men came down from Judea, and they introduced this idea that there may be an obstacle to overcome, and it was impeding their sense of nearness to Christ. So maybe you this morning have not yet even come to Christ. Perhaps you still believe that there is something that you need to do or something that you need to accomplish before you can come to Christ. Well, see here in God's word Christ's care. See what Jesus himself is saying when he carefully clears the pathway to him, removing anything that anyone might throw in the way. Don't let good works keep you from coming to Christ, and don't let your sin keep you from coming to Christ. Jesus simply says, come. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest. I will give you rest for your soul. If you do not yet know Christ, come, hear him, come, believe upon Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Now, perhaps you know Christ this morning. 
And maybe you've known Christ for years and years and years, but you find yourself today or at other times troubled and unsettled in your soul. Well, if this describes you, look to Christ. Look to Christ here in his word and see the way that he cares for troubled souls. Look and see that although Christ is in the highest heaven, he is eager to provide peace and rest to his people. Has sin troubled your soul? Have doubts filled your mind? Will Christ's call remains the same for you? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. So the first way that we seek Christ's care is by coming to Christ. The second is to find comfort in his word. Think about these believers in Antioch when they read the words of that letter, now inscripturated in God's word. When these others had unsettled their minds, it was the reading and the rereading of God's word that would regularly restore their souls. And so one of the ways that we draw near to Christ is by reading his written word. One of the ways that we draw near to Christ is by saturating our own souls with the word of God. Just as the Jerusalem council showed Christ's care by writing it down, writing their decision down, Jesus has shown us his great care in giving us his holy word. And so if you want Christ to care for your soul, or as you seek Christ caring for your soul, saturate it with the word of God. Go to that letter, go to that word, read it and reread it and read it again. Seek Christ's care in that word of comfort in the word, his holy word. Third, seek to grow by God's grace. When the believers in Antioch received that letter that contained both comfort and counsel, they rejoiced. It's obvious to see why they rejoiced in the word of comfort, right? Ignore that man-made addition. Ignore that false teaching that says you still need to do something to be saved. That's easy to hear and to rejoice, but what about the council? They were given instruction as well, and yet the text tells us they rejoice. How do they rejoice? Why do they rejoice? Well, because there is joy and freedom found in obedience. They saw that counsel not as a heavy burden to bear, as circumcision was as an addition to salvation. They are now hearing this instruction as members of the household of God. This instruction is being given to them, not saying you need to do this in order to come to Christ, but now because you have come to Christ, this is how you grow in Christ likeness. And think about the dramatic changes that this council aimed at. Think, just put yourself in these believers' shoes. These believers were once living in the world. And what God's word calls sexual immorality, they had only known as sexual activity. And similarly, in the world, as Gentiles, they were always at odds with the Jews. And so these are two very big changes that Christ is calling them to. 
Christ is suddenly calling them to lay down their rights for the sake of those who were once their enemies. So how did they rejoice when they received this word as well? Well, because as John tells us in his first epistle, for the Christian, God's law is not burdensome. You see, God's law is incredibly burdensome if you do not know Christ, because God's law will only condemn you. So how is it no longer a burden for the believer? Well, first, by resting in the fact that Christ has fulfilled the law in your place. His obedience... If you are trusting in Christ, his obedience replaces your disobedience. And so in Christ, God's law cannot condemn the believer. But then second, God's law directs us. It teaches us how to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And so when the believers in Antioch hear the instruction of Christ from the Jerusalem council, they receive it with joy, knowing that whatever Christ commands, he also provides. If Christ commands a change of your affections, he provides it, he gives it by, your, by his grace. If Christ commands a new way of life, he provides it in his union with himself. If Christ commands an old way be put off, he provides the new. And so hearing the word of God, these believers rejoice because they see this as Jesus' care of themselves. They see the good shepherd teaching them how to walk in that path of joy and freedom. Well, fourth, seek joy and peace by believing. Seek joy and peace by believing. That joy and peace was stolen from those believers in Antioch, those Gentile believers in Antioch. So when was it restored? Well, it was restored when they believed, when they lifted their eyes. You see, their, their eyes were previously on Christ, but they were brought down by those men who came down from Judea. They were brought down from Christ. Their eyes were on Christ, but then they were brought down to themselves because of that false gospel that those men were teaching. Well, when, when, when their attention was upon themselves, their joy and their peace was torn away. But take heart and see what happens, because just as quickly as it was taken away, it was also restored. As soon as they lifted their eyes to Christ by faith alone, they were encouraged and strengthened and rejoiced. Now what I'm about to say almost or kind of contradicts what I just said. Really and truly in looking to Christ, your joy is found there. But it doesn't always mean that it is found immediately. You may be struggling to find it now. But here we see in Christ's care that we still seek it from him, and we do so, fifth, by waiting on the Lord. It only takes us a matter of minutes to read Acts 15, or at least the account that we just read. And so it may seem like very little time passed from that time of disturbance until everything was restored, but that can't be the way it happened. There was time spent by Paul and Barnabas in Antioch trying to calm everything. 
Then when they couldn't get things sorted out, they made that appeal to the church in Jerusalem. And so the apostles and elders gathered there, which means men had to travel for that gathering. There they had much debate. We don't know if it was one day, two, three. We don't, we haven't, we don't know. And then when they made their decision, it sure seems like there was time spent on how to articulate it well and to communicate it carefully. And then there was travel back. After they chose those two men to go with Paul and Barnabas, they had to arrange for travel, and then that travel took itself time. So much time passed while those dear believers were wrestling and waiting. Well, as we have seen, while they were waiting, Christ was caring. Though they could not see much of it for themselves, it was nonetheless there. So brothers and sisters, if you find yourself in that place, seek Christ and wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord and trust in his unseen hand of care. Because not even the glories of heaven can keep his attention from you. To strengthen you in the wait, remember the promise of Isaiah 40. It reads, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Robert Murray McShane once said, if I could only hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies gathered against me. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. McShane was saying what we see here in our text. I don't have to see Christ to know that he cares. Because I can see it by faith in the word of God. I can be strengthened as I trust in Christ's care. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we marvel at what it means for you to be our Savior. It is hard for us to fathom as sinners that you, the Holy God, would decide to save a people for yourself. And Lord Jesus, that you would decide to come down and enter into this world and to take on that flesh that you had created and to walk through all of the various peaks and valleys of life in a fallen world, that you would be rejected, that you would be condemned as if a sinner, though innocent, that you would die upon the cross and be buried, that you would remain under the power of death for a time, that you would rise again and be ascend into heaven, and then, even in the glories of heaven, you would continue to serve us as our mediator. Lord God, we pray that you would increase our faith, that even as we cannot see you now, may we trust in your care. Strengthen our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.